me feel like I'm a part of something bigger. My favorite business show. Hands down the best B2B sales and marketing podcast. The ultimate resource for salespeople. George makes me want to conquer local. An authentic entertainer. Conquer Local with Vendasta. Here's George Leaf. Welcome to the latest edition of the Conquer Local podcast. Very excited this week to bring you a career sales genius. I don't say that very often. But after interviewing Jeff Kozer, the CEO of Zebrafy, award-winning co-author of Selling to Zebras, you could tell that this gentleman has been doing this for a long time and he has come up with a great prescription for success. After 30 plus years in the sales business and what he calls the science of selling, we're going to dig into that big brain and bring you some takeaways to make your organization and you specifically a better salesperson. In fact, Jeff's slogan is changing the way the world sells. Jeff Kozer, the CEO of Zebrify, an award-winning author, coming up next on the Conquer Local Podcast. Well, we're going to dig right into uh, this episode. Jeff Kozer joining me, the CEO at uh, Zebrify, all the way from the beautiful state of Wisconsin. Jeff, thanks for joining us on the Conquer Local Podcast. Love to hear a little bit from you around your background and uh, your organization. Sounds good, George. Thanks for inviting me. I, I, I enjoy your show. Why should you listen to me? Well, I've been doing this long enough. I've made enough mistakes, but I've stuck with it. So I've figured a couple things out. How's that? Oh, listen, um, grizzled up old sales veterans like you and I can say things like that. So that's great. That's why we love having you on the show. We want to learn a little bit about Zebrify and your book, which uh, Selling to Zebras. And, you know, the thing I love is this statement that you've made. You're trying to change the way the world sells. So tell us about <laughs> Zebrify, the book and, and that slogan, because, you know, that caught my attention. Well, it's, it's something that... Um everybody that works here is is pretty passionate about because we feel that if everyone called on a zebra, which is the profile of that perfect prospect for you, it mirrors your best customers. If, if, you, if you stuck to those types of customers and you approached them with a verification because you did your homework that they have the problem you solve, in other words, you know they need you, and if you were able to quantify the value of solving that problem for them. And you stayed there. You stayed with companies that would get exceptional value from your solution. The world would just be a better place. People would feel better about sales. They'd feel better about salespeople. They'd feel better about granting everyone an appointment. So the world would be a better place. And and that's really what Selling to Zebras, the book, is all about. And, and that's what we're all about as a company. And interesting, I think what you're calling out here is where an organization stretches their buyer persona um, in order to gain, you know, larger revenue and it may not be an exact fit. Am I reading between the lines there? You you are. It's it's where you bring more value than anyone else. And also you're a better decision than buying virtually anything else they might want to buy because it's not always a decision to buy you versus the competitor, right? It might be you versus 
a forklift, for example, right? Yeah, no, I, I have X number of dollars to spend and I'm going to spend it on some things and the competition might not even be apples to apples. So I, I get that. How big of a problem is this? It's a huge problem. In fact, research shows that one of the main reasons, it, it isn't just because of the web that executives don't want to grant us an appointment anymore today. It's because 85% of the time we're trying to call on the person who isn't even the right person to make the decision for the solution we're selling. So 85% of the time, we're wasting that executive's time as we target them with a phone call, um, a a marketing automation message, or even something that we might send them in direct mail, for example. Well, it's really interesting. It's almost like this was planned. The stars aligned. Earlier this week, I was talking to a sales organization and I said, it's not about you folks getting more leads. You are burning leads like crazy. It's about getting better at working the leads that you have today. And, you know, this idea of um, scope creep is is really what I like to call it, where you're, you know, oh, I think that my solution might work over here. I'm going to try that out, which, you know, could be a waste of time. And then the other thing is, I think you're you're talking about what SaaS software calls product market fit. And, um, you know, really honing in on that persona or where you have that product market fit and then knowing everything about that funnel and and knowing the stages. Is that is that really what you're professing? It is. Product market fit is is a great way in in the SaaS world to, to define it. And SaaS is a great marketplace to prove it because it's easier to adopt a solution in the SaaS world, but it's also easier to shut it off. So we have to continue to demonstrate and prove that we're bringing value or they'll, they'll churn. And no, that's a major problem with for SaaS companies. You know, you're, you're absolutely right. And, um, you know, you can't outsell churn. Famous line from one of our guests on the podcast a couple of years back, Mr. Jeff Falkmer. Let's, um, I like that one. Let's get into talking points here that, that we discussed that we, were, we really wanted to touch on. And, and I think the most important one for our audience today is we're going back to business because of this major mm-hmm. event that everybody is aware of. I'm not going to give it any more airtime than, than it already has. It's getting a lot of airtime. But, um, you know, it really has become a forcing function, I'm finding. You know, we, we've been professing to business owners, don't care if they're small, medium, or large, that you need to make some sort of a digital transformation. We've been doing that for years. And now we have this forcing function where business owners were sitting at home on their hands, not able to work, whether they weren't able to open their brick and mortar store, or they didn't have the tools to be able to continue on remote work. We now are forced to move down the road of that digital transformation. So what, what does that look like um, in your eyes and with your experience? Because, you know, I smell opportunity from a challenge. Um, and I, I believe that you have some very strong thoughts around this. I believe you have to be compelling more so. I think it's been the case for quite some time, but more so now, because the only dollars that are going to be spent now are on a compelling solution where you can demonstrate that the problem you solve or the value that you create is worth spending versus every other way they might choose to spend that same dollar. So from a compelling value proposition is what I believe you're referring to. And, and I think the, the idea is there's more competition for less dollars. 
even though we probably are going to have some fallout of the number of people that are playing the game, because I think there's going to be some people that just throw their hands up and say, you know, I've saved some money for my retirement. I was hoping to maybe exit this business, but I don't even know what the hell I have anymore for value. So let's just retire. Let's just, you know, walk off the earth and go do our Freedom 55 thing. I, I believe you're going to see a lot of that. But then there's also the folks that didn't heed the warning of you should have a couple of months back up in your bank account in case some crazy stuff happens. And, you know, I think part of that is, you know, we, when you look at the stats, there were a lot of business owners and individuals that were living month to month because unemployment was low. We were able to get jobs. We were able to continue to bring that cash flow forward. Then we have this thing that came out of left field. It's unprecedented where the government just shuts down the economy. And um, I believe this is very, this might be controversial, but I'm going to say it anyways. Now that it's happened once, it will happen again. Like that, it in the drop of a hat, it will happen again, in my opinion. So you better be ready to work remote. And to your point, you better have a very strong value proposition. And um, yes, it's always been the thing. I've been working in the marketing business for 30 years. Marketing has always been the biggest challenge of businesses, the thing they pay the least attention to, and it's the most important piece to fill that funnel. Um, but then your point is really, really uh, poignant. It's around that value proposition because, as you said earlier, you may be competing against the forklift purchase with that limited budget that exists at that end customer. Well, exactly. And you also have to be positioned so that you can collaboratively agree on and create a business case with that prospect. So very often you, you're well read, you've read the books, I've listened to your podcasts, you're talking to people current and, and you've, you've done it all. You're, you've been a, a student of sales for a long time, as, as, as I like to call it. So you, you know that today most salespeople, would, even today, when, when you say to a salesperson, you have to have a compelling solution, you have to be able to present a business case, they still don't realize that that has to be collaboratively agreed to with the prospect. They have to be the ones to opt in or opt out of your sales cycle, and, and that's what they want from you. They, they, want that, they want to be sold to that way. They want to buy that way. In fact, to flip it around, they want to experience a buying cycle, not a sales cycle which means they collaboratively work with you. They agree to the next step and you paint that into a picture that fits them and feels good to them. Well, and I, you know, I read an interesting stat the other day. We've been doing a bunch of research in one of our divisions around ent the enterprise sales cycle and never before have you had a more educated buyer. And, and now we have to have a buyer's journey that, that works with that. Like, they want to read the white paper. They want to attend the webinar. They want to do their due diligence without having someone feed it to them. And I believe that if, if you have the right content online, you actually can move through some of those stages in the pipeline. So I, I want to vet that with you. You know, you are a sales expert. Secondly, I love the zebra thing. I'm going to use that. Um, but in, in, your, in your opinion, how effective are most organizations in embracing this modern buyer's journey? Not very. Um, I, I love your theme of being a local expert. That, that's what a buyer wants from you. They, they want to know that you have answers to questions that they don't even know to ask so that you can keep them out of trouble. And you have, and on, the only way you can do that is if you, you know your prospect. You know the individual you're calling on, you know their business, you know what they face competitively, and you bring a solution to them that, that, is, that is 
specific to their requirements and you can prove it. And, but you have to give them that, that like you called it the buyer's journey. I, I like to call it a buyer's journey because they're always in charge. Whether we try to empower them that way or not, they're always in charge. And if we also work to empower them to get on their side of the desk and create materials, present materials, offer up materials, and even free solutions that don't benefit us but do benefit them, I think then we are creating a, an environment where we can become, in their eyes, the local expert. So when we talk about the profile of uh, organization's perfect customer, we call them a zebra. Um, and if we focus on finding those buyer personas that we are a perfect fit for and give them the right level of content so that they can discover on their own, because that's the journey that we like to go through in buying. And I, I find this, I, I'm wondering if you could validate this thought. I find that when, when we articulate to, um, an organization, when we're training an organization or we're making a digital transformation saying, you know, you need to adopt these new ways of doing business to give them an analog of think of the last thing that you bought. And I have yet to have this bite me in the ass. It's think of the last thing you bought and how much research you did. And usually you'll get some sort of answer around, yeah, you know, I bought this new, you know, these new pair of shoes or I bought tires for my vehicle or, and I'm not even talking about a big purchase. I'm talking like three or $400 or something. Yeah, like I'm not talking about buying a new home or buying a, you know, cabin at the lake or a boat or something like that. I'm talking about even some of the smaller purchases, the level of research that we are doing on every purchase is massive. That's a really good analogy for for a word picture. I I, I just bought a lawnmower. <laughs> my, my my lawnmower died, and I did a lot of research. I checked out who I was buying it from. I checked out the product. I watched videos. I read reviews. It's exactly like you just portrayed. I did my homework. I did my best to buy local. But with the current situation, I couldn't actually find the model I wanted locally because they aren't able to get product right now, which, believe it or not, even that's tied in with with the, the world economy and, and, and the global supply chain. Your point is well taken. Um, people have access to information. They're going to they're going to check you out They're and they want to. In fact, uh, like you were talking about research before, I think you've probably heard this one. They say that 60 to 70% of the, of the buying decision is done before they ever even contact you. That's what they prefer, whether you're one of those that does a great job of providing them the information in the context and in the place where they're looking for it or not will determine how well you do. But then once they do contact you, you have to execute that much more flawlessly because there's there's less time to have the impact versus what you might have had before as, as an individual contributor salesperson. I'd, I'd love to get your opinion on this, but I, I really believe what you're talking about when it comes to zebras is something that is getting a lot of airtime, and that's that buyer persona concept. I, I love how uh, people are taking your zebra thing and saying, oh, I got this new idea, we're gonna come up with buyer personas. Um, could, could we talk a little bit about when you, when you talk about zebras though, I believe that it's not just one, like it, it, it is finding those perfect customer profiles, but it's not just one, correct? Correct. 
Yeah, it can be multiple profiles uh, based on a solution. It could be based on a vertical. They, they would very often they're different or maybe even a combination of, of, of products that you sell to a given marketplace. But um, in fact, all of our clients have multiple zebras. What we've done with it recently, so, well, in fact, the guy who coined the term zebra, I, I'm not even the guy that coined the term zebra. But what he challenged us to do, and, and he's still a friend and he's still a business advisor. And what he challenged us to do after he read our book, and um, was he, he said he said Jeff, you know you've got the seven attributes of the zebra that we use to grow businesses, and it takes a little time to put it together, and you need the organization to participate, so it's cross departmental. He said that's a lot of work. Can you automate this? And I thought we never could, frankly. But what we've done recently is we've created from our database of of knowledge of other customers and the scraping that we've done in the last two years to create this product, all you have to do, if, if you're a Salesforce user, you go to an opportunity and you say, this is a good customer, or this is a prospect that I'm about to close, or this is one I know I'm going to close. Any of those scenarios, you just say, this is a good one. Maybe you don't even know why. And you click on a button that we put inside of Salesforce for you, it will go out and it will find up to five companies that look and feel just like that one. Well, that's uh, to every salesperson listening, that's music to their ears because we can never have enough prospects. Um, you, you know, you're taking a page from the Facebook lookalike audience, it seems, using the data to identify five other opportunities. Is that correct? That is, that is exactly right. We live in an amazing time in 2020, all this access to data. Let's, um, I want to talk a little bit about the book because um, I really enjoyed uh, Selling to Zebras. This book in 2010 was recognized as one of the best sales books of all time by sales gurus. And you were identified as one of the best sales authors. I could see that just by speaking to you in this short period of time. You definitely know what you're talking about. But what was the impetus of the book? And uh, obviously, you accomplished the goal of getting your message out there. Uh, congratulations with all the success. Oh, thank you. Um, we were we were humbled, actually, by um, the awards. We we applied for four awards, and, and we were finalists for all four, and we, we won two of them. And, and we're really not authors. My son and I are not authors. We just applied what we had learned. I actually gleaned a lot of help from a lot of other books that I had read. And as you know, a good sales process, there's a lot of good sales processes out there. There's, there's certain components of, of a good process. Most good books talk about the same thing relative to good sales process. But what was different about ours was what you talked about on a previous podcast that I just listened to that you put out there about about churn, oftentimes we don't contact a customer after we've built this fabulous value proposition for them. We don't stick around to make sure that the value proposition and the promises that were made even by the buyer to their own organization are actually fulfilled and achieved. And that's what we closed the loop on. It, it's making sure that you, we call it forced success. It's a key part of, of what we do. So when you sell and create a business case, that prospect is going to expect to actually achieve it. So, and a lot of times they're their own worst enemy. They get in their own way. 
So we have to find out and we have to figure out ways of helping them gain adoption, get the value that they promised their organization, crash through that, and then we've earned the right to ask them for the business again, meaning we've asked them for the, for the right to renew, we've asked them to expand with us, so we've created a perfect platform for land and expand, and it breeds its own success. Well, th- this is an interesting thing, and I, I, I really want to interrogate this a little bit more because I think you're really getting to the core of a successful relationship with a long-term customer. So I, I believe that, you know, you could tell enough lies and uh, you come up with a value proposition, you pretty much sell anything to anybody wants if you're, you know, good at talking and positioning, but it, that's not the win. The win is getting the repeat customer that you're able to, you know, and, and to your point, you put a value proposition out there, a brand promise to seal the deal, to get that initial signature. And then we never go back to the value proposition until we need to either save the deal or we're moving to position to an upsell. It's it's an enormous challenge that organizations face. And, and I see some companies starting to adopt this idea of we're going to use social selling principles, whether it be demand gen through email marketing, texting, smoke signals, whatever it might be, to, <laughs> to get that customer into our funnel but then it doesn't just stop at the close. I find that it is a very difficult discussion to have with a marketer that you need to stay involved in the sale after the sale and into the retention and growth of the customer. What, like, how did we get to this point where marketing, all they're concerned with is getting the lead and they don't understand that their job is to provide air cover to the brand promise throughout the entire cycle of that customer into the adoption phase and they should be using some of that bloody budget to get the lead to continue to keep the customer because it's way easier to upsell and retain a client that you've been working with for three years than it is to go get some new joker that may not be a zebra, may just be a zebra imposter. You're, You're absolutely right. It is a lot less expensive. You can just call them up. You have a relationship. And if you, if you did achieve the promises, you probably still have the relationship with the person we call power, who's the person that can buy originally, even without a budget, and who can buy more from you if you've established yourself and your relationship continued to grow as a result of actually achieving the business case. Well, the one the one thing I want to highlight, in, and I want sellers to understand this, and I am calling out marketers, so if there are some marketers that would like to take on that challenge and tell me that I'm full of it, uh, please reach out to us on LinkedIn with that comment. But I, I do find it's a real challenge. But the other thing that I want to speak to is their churn is happening because the competitor is coming in and talking about the value proposition that you promised out of the gate and you haven't highlighted that you are delivering that value proposition. So the minute that you make the sale, you're under attack. And you're it's right. everyone else that is going, oh, that that's my zebra too. I'm going to come in here and I'm going to do everything I can to take that business away. So we have to have that for, I love for success because for success is where you're calling out, you came to us for X, we delivered X squared, <laughs> so we over we over delivered, and now we're positioned to continue to solve more problems for you, even though there's all of these forces that are attacking that customer, trying to steal it away. And the competitor, like you said, is coming after them with their best and brightest, where very often as companies, we move that sale over to a different group in the company 
that isn't as equipped either to preserve it or to deliver on the promises, which is which is another classic mistake. Do, I want to point at that for a moment. Do you believe that this is the the problem? Is is we don't pay customer success as much as we should be paying. And uh, we're just paying the hunters. Like I, when we go into sales organizations, we look at the comp models. You're paying a lot of money to get that lead and to get it closed. And then you you don't have A players. And it's not that the people aren't great. It's that the organization isn't investing in them and giving them the tools and the budget to keep that customer and make them successful. It seems like we're shooting ourselves in the foot, I think. We are. It is that simple. We don't give them the tools. We don't even give them the transition properly, generally, from the sales success to the client success team so that they understand the persona of the customer, the the business case, maybe where their strengths are, where their weaknesses are, what help they're going to need and actually so that they can actually achieve it. And we certainly don't give them the, like you were calling out marketing before, we don't give them the marketing air cover to give them tools that will help them retain that client. Well, I'm sure that you and I could continue to go on and on and on and talk sales for hours. I really appreciate some of these insights. I do have a couple of, I'm I'm looking for a couple of takeaways. So, you know, our audience are sales professionals. They are budding uh, business owners that are thinking about starting their first business. They are seasoned executives that have been involved in organizations. We try to cover off all of those personas when we put together the content for an episode. Could you give us just a couple of takeaways, regardless of which persona you are, if there were, you know, if you were to give some advice and say, here's two things that you could do to see some immediate improvement in your organization or in yourself, what would those two tips be? The first one would be to ask and get an answer to what business problem do you solve for the customer? Very few companies actually know the answer to that. When you when you ask them, even executives, they'll launch into stories about what their product does versus what business problem prompts a customer to buy. And the way you do that is you go back to your customer base and you ask them from their perspective the reason that they bought. What problem did they buy to, to your solution to address? And then you also ask them what quantifiable value was created. And and you'd be amazed. Many people think that their solutions out there, especially software, have this esoteric value that you can't measure. And we've yet to find a solution that can't be measured and can't be differentiated. And that's the second question I would ask. After you understand what problem you solve, what is your differentiation? Why is it that you do it better than anybody else? And I would again verify that through your customers so that you have customer testimonials to back that up. Because as salespeople, as sales organizations, as marketing organizations, prospects are going to divide by us, meaning they're going to believe less of what we say, but they will believe what our customers say. Those are two very compelling takeaways for our audience uh, from this great 20 some odd minutes of amazing content. I knew that it was going to be a great episode. So Zebrafy, how do I find out more about Zebrafy? And also where could our audience get a copy of Selling to Zebras? So if you go to Zebrafy, Z-E-B-R-A-F-I.com, 
right on our website. You can click and you can get a free copy of our book. And if they want to contact me, it's simple. It's Jeff at zebrafy.com. Well, Jeff, thanks for being a great guest. I'm sure that we're going to get some really good feedback from our listeners on this episode and uh, enjoy the day. Thank you, George. Well, now you know what a zebra is. It is the perfect customer persona for your product, service, or offering. And uh, Jeff has done a great job of building out this concept of the zebras and really moving to, rather than a product uh, dumping type sales process, into a more, how do we solve the problem? We've talked a lot about that on the uh, podcast, but I think Jeff brought it into a new light where he talks about the problem that sales organizations have, the way to solve it by using this methodology of finding your zebra, and then really understanding how you solve those problems. It, it also is important to note that he calls out something that I believe we're going to experience over the next six, eight, 10 months, and that is you're just going to have to be better in order to win business because there's a lot more competition for less budget and having that very compelling buyer's journey. Not a sales journey. It's a buyer's journey. How does your zebra buy your product or solution? An interesting stat from all the work that Jeff has been doing through Zebrify is that 85% of the time, sales executives are not speaking to the person that is the decision maker. It seems to me that that number is higher than other studies, but I think it might just be a part of this idea that we need to find the zebra, we need to position our product in that buyer's journey to the various influencers, but then rather than wasting our time with those influencers, and not that all the time that we're spending them is a waste, but as we start to move to the bottom of the funnel, we need to get in contact with the decision makers. So some great insights there. The other piece is that whole, and you, you could tell how I really leaned into the piece where he talked about, we make the sale, and then we don't talk about the value proposition until we have a problem, and we're trying to you know, keep the customer or we need to, you know, upsell them or we find an opportunity to upsell them. And I have really been a staunch proponent that we need to do a better job of adoption. We need to do a better job of getting that buyer to some sort of an adoption motion or a habit where they are using the solution or they're interested in investigating whether the solution is working or not. So I'm glad that, uh, you know, Jeff helped us validate that that is definitely something that he's seeing as he works inside sales organizations. Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Conquer Local podcast. I hope you get a chance to read the book, Selling to Zebras. It's a fantastic read from award-winning co-author, Jeff Kozer. My name is George Leith. I'll see you when I see you. You've been listening to the Conquer Local podcast with your host, George Leith. Executive producers are Brendan King, Jeff Tomlin, and Danny Mario. Audio engineering, Sound Lounge by T-Bone. Marketing by Rory Lawford. Produced by Colleen McGrath.